0: Yod. We are uh, going to finish the Agadot about and then go into the next Mishnah, the next Halakha. Uh, regarding this Agada, we saw a really fascinating Machloket between the Bieli and Abi Yoshua regarding the water cycle where Rabbi Eliezer describes uh, what the Greeks knew and uh, what we know now about the water cycle evaporation, uh, forms clouds, and then that comes down. Whereas Rabbi Joshua was following the ancient Near Eastern um, idea that there are vaults of rain up in heaven that open up and come down. So we're going to come back to that, but now we're going to a little digression about the relationship between rain and Eretz Yisrael and the rest of the world. Tenor Banan. Eretz Israel nivret ve'chol alam lebasof. He says that Israel was created first, and all the rest of the lands were created afterwards. Shnei ad ad lo asa Eretz as Pasuken says, while he had not yet made the land or the fields, Israel was made. So Israel first and then everything else. In other words, Eretz, Eretz is Eretz Israel, and then chutzot. Um, so Israel comes first and then chutzot comes after. And similarly, rain, Hashem gives rain to Israel first, uh, himself uh, uh, directly, and the rest of the world, not direct, indirectly, only through a messenger as Pasuk says, who brings rain on the, la- the face of the land, so that means the land of Israel, and sends, that means messenger, water on the rest. Uh, on, on the rest, chutzot, meaning chutz Of course, in Peshat means all of the earth, all of the land, uh, but the Midrash is um, interpreting it away to show how special Israel is. as Yisrael Shota Israel uh, drinks from the rainwater directly, whereas the rest of the world, only from the leftover, whatever is left after Israel gets a drink, that's what the rest of the world gets. the Same pasuk, right? First he gives rain on the land, and only then he sends whatever is left on the rest. Israel first and then the rest of the world Uh, again quoting the same pasuk like someone who is needing cheese and then when it's ready he takes the food he takes the cheese and he leaves the the rest of the leftover Uh, that's the same Israel gets the first pick all right. Now the end of that digression. Now we go back to that controversy we had regarding uh, where the rain comes from. And uh, we saw that uh, what one question to the be Eliezer was how could it be if the how could it be how could you a, how could the clouds come from the ocean if the ocean is salt water and uh, the rain is fresh water and he said his answer was that the clouds uh, purify sweeten the 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 water, it's like a brita filter, it works. Okay, Minale, what's the source to know to say that? Okay, so these two are in Tehilim 18 and 2nd Samuel 22. These two paragraphs, these two chapters are the same. Uh, they're they're both uh, they're both Shirat uh, David. They're, so they're almost the same word for word. You can take this mizmor and this uh, uh, Shemuel, chapter of Shmuel and put them side by side, except for a few letters, a few words, and spelling differences here and there. Very very slight differences. Um, the simple way to explain the differences is um, maybe they just uh, look similar or sound similar. So different traditions uh, that were passed down. But the midrash does not say that. It says that the, the differences must be on purpose and so what does it mean on the one hand one place talks about the darkness of the of the water in thick clouds and that's and the other one says meaning the gathering of the water in the thick clouds so uh why is there a difference between them and so here's what he does in order to harmonize them Put them together. Take the kaf, that is the different letter here, and move it in with the resh, so you have both. So the difference between chashchat and chashrat is meant to tell you to harmonize them by combining the different letters together. khasharat. Uh, and then you get uh, a combination word, chasharat. Now, khasharat doesn't mean anything, but if you take the het and turn it into a hey, that was a common thing done. First of all, they look similar. It's just a little uh, smidgen of ink. Also, they sound similar. And it seems in those days, they didn't pronounce the hut quite like a ha, but more like a, a hey, uh, which uh, some of you see here, some people pronounce it that, that way today. They want to distinguish it with a chaf, but they can't quite say a hut, They say something like a hey. Um, So then you get ha sharat. Okay, anyway, that means... Up to prepare to make kosher to make fit to drink, and so that was that's what it means to make uh fit to drink the water in the thick clouds, and that's his at least a hint that clouds filter water. Okay, so that's all good for to be Eliezer, but to be Oshua. But what's Yeshua going to do with these? Because he, he thinks that the water, fresh water comes from uh, these vaults up in the sky. So he doesn't think that the clouds purify them. So what does he do with that? So he derives from that, what, they, what a tradition is also was brought in from Edith Yisrael, that they say when the clouds are bright, they only have a little bit of water. When the clouds are dark, then they must have a lot of water. So this, it says, meaning dark clouds, is equal to meaning gathering a lot of water. So that's a, 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 a mnemonic or a lesson to teach that. Dark clouds have a lot of water. Okay, good. Okay, so now that we have this machloket, uh, we want to ask the, uh, about this following baraita would be the author of the Brighta um, that the upper waters were uh, were uh, suspended by god's word it's quite an amazing thing when you see clouds and they're just suspended right in the middle right how do they stay there so according to this god commanded them to to remain suspended there and their fruits are water the fruit of clouds fruit in an allegorical way, meaning the result of something what what something gives forth is water and all this is to explain the pasuk from the fruit of your work do you do you get you give um uh, to the land so what do you mean the land gets uh, satisfied from rain so is a reference to rain so the well the means the clouds and they're called that because god created them and made them hover and mipiri means the rain that comes from the clouds. So who would that follow? that follows what Beoshua says that the clouds are up there, the rain is all up there in heaven, and then and then the, the doors open up and it comes down. So how would it be eliezer uh, 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 explain this, and he could reconcile with with it also. Truth it they're both tanaim, so I don't have to agree with it, But if we can, we like to reconcile it. I hope uh, what does he do with this pasuk? Right. He has to he has to explain the pasuk. He doesn't have to agree with the Braita, but what is he gonna do with this Pasuk? He'll say the Pasuk means from the fruit of your labor. Not the labor isn't referring specifically to clouds, but rather all of creation. Hashem, you create everything, and from as the result of everything that you created, we have a whole system in which land is satisfied with rain. Okay, good. And now we go to back to another tangent showing uh, uh, importance of different lands. So he teaches that the whole world um, gets water from the leftovers of Gan Eden. In other words, the rain first, the water comes first, time comes to Gan Eden to say he has a good hint in the Pesukim because it says that there's four rivers, right, and they all uh, derive from Eden, uh, so that makes sense. And so first Eden gets the water and then the rest of the world, it gets the runoff. Now, how much can uh, can the runoff uh, feed? So we have the ratio in this baraita that if you have a kor of land, which is about 75,000 square cubits, then the runoff, the extra leftover of that water can feed a tarkav of land, which is one sixtieth of a Betkor. So therefore, the runoff is one sixtieth of the original. Now, if you if you have once we have that ratio, we can uh, expand on uh, this uh, the the relationship between Gan Eden and the rest of the world. And that's what we do here. Parsa Al Parsa. The land of Egypt, right? Egypt, right here. This is a map from uh, Ptolemy, the famous scientist of Alexandria who lived in the second century CE. So he lived at the same time as these Tanaim. And so it's a good, um, it's a good idea of uh, what they thought the map of the world looks like, because Ptolemy actually made this map. So if you have Egypt, and Egypt is 400 by 400 Parsa'ot, uh, and uh, that is Egypt is 160th of the land of Kush, meaning of uh, Africa. And Africa is 160th of the land mass of the whole earth. And the whole, uh, uh, the, 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 the whole earth is 160th of the land mass of Gan, with the Gan in Gan Eden. Gan is not the same as Eden. We usually say just Gan Eden, but in the Pesukim it says Hashem made a Gan so there's some kind of garden where adam and chava were and that is in a larger place called eden and eden is 160th of the size of gehinam okay we're going into the uh, the, um, allegorical i think here and therefore the whole world is like the pot cover for Gehinam, just like a pot is very big, and the cover is just a thin on top, maybe is a a 60th of it, so too the whole world, including Gan and Eden and everything, is uh, just a small part of Gehinam. And some say Gehinam is so big, you can't even count how big it is. Okay, what is the meaning? What is the deeper meaning here? Perhaps it is that um, in order to follow a good path, in order to have Gan Eden, in order to have to, a good society, that requires, you know, a lot of work, and the chances of things going wrong. There's more ways for things to go wrong than for things to go right. So you have to really put a lot of effort into keeping things from uh, turning into Gehinam. Maybe that's what it means, kind of a chaos theory. But others say, no, Aden does not have a, is, is so big that has no measure. So those, this would be a more positive, uh, optimistic attitude. you dwell on many waters, abundant in storehouses, and it's writing about Bavel, that Bavel dwells on many waters. So why, why is, how uh, come in Bavel all of their grain houses are full? That's Rabat Osarot, they're full of grain. Because it rests on great, the, the great rivers, the Tigris, Euphrates. So it doesn't rely on rain. It always gets rain. It always can fill up its barns. So i said ba- Bavel is wealthy because it can grow crops even without rain. And based on that, Abaya said, better to have a swamp than a dry land. Swamp is also not great. You got to work on it, but better to always have some source of uh, water in a swamp than to have uh, dry land, uh, because with a swamp, at least you can have a grain all year round. Okay, very good. So that ends the Haggadah and uh, and some of the science also of meteorology and and how rain works. And so now uh, we get to next Mishnah. What happens when it doesn't rain? Sorry, when we start. When, when do we start asking for rain? We saw this Mishnah already. al The Tanakhama says we start as saying ten tall in the ninth on the third of The so he says, no, not. you need an extra few, extra four days. So he says, wait till the seventh of Cheshvan, because that'll be a full 15 days after the end of Sukkot. And that's good, because then the, those who came, who came on pilgrimage to Jerusalem will have a chance to travel all the way back to the Euphrates, and if it rains and then the roads are all ruined, it's going to be difficult for them. We want them to, to have an easy time. Okay, this is actually quite interesting because um, 15 days after the end of the holiday will be the seventh of Cheshvan only if Tishrei is male. Tishrei has 30 days. Now, Ravangamale is living during the time when they had witnesses, and witnesses maybe they'd come on 29, right? Maybe they'd come early, maybe they'd come late. So you never know. So theoretically, it doesn't have to be 15 days. So this is quite interesting that it uh, puts in that it is always 15 days and maybe this is uh, in addition uh, reflecting the time when uh, there was a, f- a fixed calendar or maybe the would always make sure that Yishri was Maliyah. Since Elul, Elul, we said as um, always or almost always chased, So uh, Tishrei would have to be male, and Aban Gamliel would, uh, you know, instruct the witnesses uh, to make sure it came out that way. But uh, that's an interesting hint here about how the calendar actually worked. Okay, Gimara. Amar Gamliel. Yes, we follow, even though we have a Tanakh usually we would follow that. But here we follow the minority opinion, and we start on the 7th of Cheshvan, and this is the Halachah said today in Israel. They start as, they start, by on the seventh. However, <coughs> the Mishnah doesn't distinguish, but Chananya does. He says, and outside the land of Israel, diaspora, question, does diaspora mean only Bavel or everywhere else? Um, in those days, basically, the Jews were at Israel and Bavel. I mean, there were Jews in other places, some uh, but the major community was in Bavel, so we're certainly talking about that. Um, the question is, in other places, does it go by the local weather, or is it all the same? Uh, so nowadays, nowadays we say, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, whenever you are outside of Israel, we follow this, and we, we start 60 days after the autumnal equinox. Kufa means the season. And we say halacha is in fact like that, like Hananya. <clears throat> okay, so do we do this uh, I said I was going to get to this, so, here, so here's the, uh, the quick explanation. Uh, the autumnal equinox is on September uh, 22nd or 23rd, uh, so 60 days after that would be November uh, 22nd or 23rd, which would mean tomorrow, right? So technically, we should start saying tomorrow, but we don't do that. We wait another two weeks until December 4th. So why is that? The answer is because when we count um, the, the, uh, a year for this purpose, we follow the calculation of Shemuel. Shemuel said that a solar year, right, because the, uh, the, the autumnal equinox, from one equinox to the next, you can't go by a lunar year because that, that uh, is different. Um, you have to go by the solar year. So he used a calculation based on a year being 365 days and a quarter, Um, which is close, but it's 11 minutes too long. Um, And so therefore, every year is adding another 11 minutes. After 128 years, that adds up to a full day, which means, according to that calculation, every 128 years, you're going to calculate the vernal equinox to be a day later than it actually is. So in Shimwell's time, it was right. Um, but then after a thousand years, after an hour, you know, 1800 years after that, so that now we've added about 13 days um, uh, further than it's supposed to be. And so that's how we get to December 4th. In other words, we never corrected uh, the solar calculation, at least for this purpose. For the halachot, it has been corrected, but for this, it was not corrected. And that's why. We have it uh, around the 80 days after, rather than 60 days afterwards. Um, The Christians uh, did fix this because um, before that, they had the Julian calendar. Julian was based on the same calculation as Shemuel, 365 and a quarter. But Pope Gregory in 1582 uh, recognized the mistake, and it has to do with um, some of the like Easter and their holidays. Uh, also has to fall out at a certain time, and so one day in 1582, he decided, he declared that October 4th would now be October 13th. He just skipped, he skipped uh, 11 days. And uh, people were, uh, were rioting in the streets. You're, you're, you're killing us. You're making us, you can, we're going to die 11 days earlier. And, uh, but he did it nevertheless. And therefore, that, the Gregorian calendar is uh, fixed and is, um, you know, is uh, almost exactly accurate. And so one day when we have a Betin, we could fix ours as well. In the meantime, we follow what the community does. Um, better to be to be the same as everybody than to uh, uh, be scientifically accurate, but then be out of step with the rest of the community. We saw earlier how important it is to not pray individually but to pray, pray together with the whole community. So um, right now we'll do that and but uh, it's good to know this so that one day we can hopefully fix it. Okay, ini now we have a challenge. We have a question. You said that we start um, uh, we we start sixty days after uh, to say However, we have another statement that when they asked from Shimuel when do we start saying He answered. From the time that they bring wood into the house of this guy, Tavut, the bird hunter. Okay, we don't know much about him, but apparently he was a famous person and he had wood outside that would be that would dry out. And then before it would start raining, he would bring the wood inside. And everybody kind of knew, oh, when he brings wood inside, then you can expect the rain. He seemed to have a maybe because he was a bird hunter. he, He knew the weather very well. And so when he brings it in, that's when we start saying tal umatar. So why do you say 60 days if now we said it's a, been dependent on what this guy does? And the answer is maybe they're the same measurement um, that uh, he brings his, his wood in exactly 60 days after. So if you don't have a calendar and you can't figure it out yourself, just go ask Mr. Tavut, the bird hunter. Okay, by the way, this is uh, a tangent just on, on how long it took to get from Jerusalem back to the Euphrates. Well, it depends on what, uh, what route you take. The quickest route would be to go right across, but this is all desert and very difficult. If you're uh, you know, alone on, uh, and you have, a, you have an animal to ride on, and so uh, you're an emissary, you, you can go on this. But if you're going with your family on a caravan, then this is a difficult route. And so instead, they would go um, up north and then come all the way back down. And so that did take a long time. It took um, about two weeks. All right. Now, shishim I know we start saying Talmatad on, uh, you said, after 60 days, but that 60th day, is it still like, we still don't say Talmatad? Or, is the 60th day like what comes what follows after it? And you already start saying Telematad on the 60th day. Dava Yom Shishim, kilachar, yom, shishim. Amad, yom Shishim Kilifne Shishim Rav and Shemuel, they both lived in Babel. And Rav says the 60th day is like what's coming up, what's coming up. So you already start saying it on the 60th. Shemel says, No, the 60th day is what came before. In case you want to remember, who said which? Amar Nachman Yitzchak, ila'e ba'u maya, tata'e la ba'u maya. The upper one, the upper person, uh, requires rain. Um, So since water flows downward, so the one who is above needs rain more. So, uh, Rav, who lived in, who originally came from Eretz which is higher, so he needs he needs rain more. So he says start start that day. Whereas Shemuel, who was always in Bavel and lives on the lower place, uh, so he doesn't need it as soon. So therefore, he says you can wait an extra day. That's one version. There's another version that switches these around, so even the, this neumonic is not so great. Um, okay. Amar Rav Papa Hilcheta, Yom 60 K'alakha 60. Halchal says is that on the 60th day itself, we already start saying Tental Tarba Libracha, like what we do after that. All right, and now we're ready for the next Mishnah. Higiya Shiba Asar B'mal Cheshvan, Lo yadu geshamim. We saw the 17th of Cheshvan is an important marker. And so if that day comes and rain still has has not come, then a few individuals take upon themselves uh, uh, three fasts. These fasts are minor fasts. So they can eat and drink during the nighttime, right? From sunset until sunrise. And then at sunrise, they stop eating and drinking. And nevertheless, during that day, mutarim be-malachah be-chisab be-sichab ne-abata sandal ub-tashmishamita, they are allowed to do all the uh, the, the rest of the inuim. They're allowed to go to work, they're allowed to wash, they're allowed to anoint, they're allowed to wear leather shoes, and they're allowed to be intimate with their wives, to use the bed. However, once Rosh Chodesh Kislev comes and still no rain has uh, came, then the Betin declares three fast days on the whole community. Now it's more severe. However, those fast days are still like minor fast days, um, not like Tisha B'Av. Uh, you can eat and drink at night. You're allowed in all the five inuyim. Okay, so now we see that there's two dates, one when the Yechidim fast and when when everybody else fasts. So the question is, who are these special individuals? that are on a, you know, somehow more righteous or representative, that they would start fasting. it's the rabbis, the sages. They, they should be at the forefront. They're the, the, the first line and they begin the fasts. Amaravuna, sheni adds, when it says three fasts, uh, it's not on random days, but you rather start on a Monday, a Thursday, and then the following Monday. The fasts always go go in that in that way um, until today Monday Thursday are days of Tachanun, uh, so that's the, those are the days good, that are appropriate for fasting. Um, you're not going to do it Shabbat. You know I don't want to do it. You know right near Shabbat. So these are, those are good days. Malan. Now what is this teaching us? Tanena dafuna why do you have to teach us this? We already know it in a B'raita, which says, that we know we never start fasting on Thursday because then it will cause an increase in the prices in the market. Why? Because if everyone's fasting on Thursday, then there's gonna they're gonna be shopping a lot because everybody, you know, when you're when you're hungry and you go shopping, you buy a lot. Also, Thursday is at, you're shopping also for Shabbat. So now all of a sudden, there's going to be lots of people buying twice as much, and that's going to, more demand is going to raise the prices. And we don't want to raise the prices. So therefore, start on Monday. That way, when you're shopping on Monday, for, to break the fast, um, so then it's not a big demand. And then on Thursday already, everyone knows, okay, we're, we're stacking up because we're fasting and then uh, together with Shabbat, so there won't be such a bump up in the demand. So that's, that, therefore, we start on Monday. Therefore, we always fasted Monday and then Thursday and then Monday again. Okay, since we already know that you start on Monday, Ravuna, why are you telling us that? I might have thought only when the whole community is fasting, then there's going to be a lot of demand. Everybody's going to go shopping. But maybe when it's only a few individuals, what is it, a few dozen people that are fasting, that's not going to change the market price. So Ravuna comes to teach us and says, we do the same thing. We always do Monday, Thursday, Monday, even for individuals. Come on. And there is a B'raita that backs up. Um, B'raita says that the individuals also, when they fast, they fast Monday, Thursday, and Monday, except if there's Rosh Chodesh in between. If one of those Mondays or Thursday is a Rosh Chodesh, you don't fast on on Rosh Chodesh, so instead you push that day off. Um, to to the next, uh, you know, if it fell on Monday, then you'd uh, fast on Thursday instead. Not only Rosh Chodesh, but also all the happy days that are mentioned in Megilat Tanit. Remember, we saw Megilat Tanit. we discussed in in Masechet Rosh Hashanah uh, about the 36 days uh, that are happy days for the people of Israel as some, some miracle happened and you're not allowed to fast. If any of those days Happens to be a Monday or a Thursday when you're supposed to fast. You don't fast on that day. You push off the fast till the next Monday or Thursday. Uh, of course, today we don't follow Miglat Tanit anymore, except for Chanukah and Purim. But uh, in those days, they were still they were still following it. Now the question is, what you know? Who? How do you define who is a sage? that is worthy to fast. And what if someone wants to be and wants to join in that group and fast? So a person should not say, I'm only a student, I'm a, 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 you know, a lowly sage, and I'm not, I'm not worthy of being one of the individuals who fast. No, don't say that. Anyone who is a scholar, even if they're a low level scholar, they should count themselves among the and fast. Ezu Yahid Ezu Tamid, how do you distinguish between the two? even though even though it sounds like everyone fasts, nevertheless, in terms of you know who is the who are these different categories, Yahid means someone who's worthy of uh, being appointed as the leader of the community. Parnas literally means that he 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 feeds or he's a, a financial, he's in charge of the finances. And maybe this person was also in charge of the finances, or maybe just like you have someone who's in charge, like you know, the, the president or CEO, and so too, in parallel, they, the, the chief rabbi he's a, someone who's worthy to be the chief of a community. That's officially a The unofficial Talmudim, Tamid kosh Shalino halacha Halakha, betamudove omed. Someone who's a talmid, and they, they, even they should fast according to this, but um, nevertheless, they're not quite like officially a yachid. So how do you, how do you know if you're even a talmid or, or, or not even uh, at that level? Anyone, if you ask him any matter of halacha, and he can answer it. Even in the masechet of the kala, there's two interpretations of this word. Um, one is the kala are two months of the year Adar and Elul, when everyone would gather together, um, it was kind of like Kala, kind of like a, a celebration, like a wedding when everyone gath- gathers together. Two months of the year when there's not a lot of work in the field. And so in the yeshivat they would des- designate, listen, this coming Adad, we're going to learn uh, the following Masechet. So everybody would study it and prepare it and come together and learn it. And also in Elul. So if they know a matter of halacha. Um, and even if he's only familiar with the current Masechet, so he doesn't know everything in the whole Shas, but he knows what, what, he knows well what we're studying. So even that person is called a Tamid and is, therefore should be fasting. So that would be um, um, a much wider definition, right? Lots of people will know the current Masechet. A different interpretation is that he knows, you can ask him anything in the whole Talmud. And even if, even if and he even knows Masechet Kala, Maseret Kala is one of the minor tractates, it's not in Dafyomi, so it's like an added thing. He knows all the regular Maseretot and even the one Maseret Kala, which is about brides, so that would be a higher level uh, uh, definition that he has to know, even that. Okay, anyway, uh, so he, he might know he might know all that, but still not be someone who is worthy of being appointed to the community. All right, so that, according to this, everybody should be fasting. Uh, all those people. Um, so the sages said, not anyone who wants to make himself an individual can do that. In other words, if you're really part of that Yahid category, then fast. Other people, you know, who are you to come and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm worthy. I'm the same as, uh, as those uh, very, very uh, uh, wise people. Um, t'amid, not everybody who wants to be a or wants to be a Tamid can go and say, Yeah, I'm part of the group. That's what be me'id is more exclusive, only a few people should fast. Omed, lo, el asar says, go ahead, right? Even if you're not so worthy, if you want to join in, we will we will remember you for good because this is not a this is not a praise, this is not. You know, if someone goes and uh, just a regular guy goes up and sits on the dais, all of a sudden he's like the important guy. Who asked you? But this is not praise. This is just a pain to have to fast more. So anyone who wants to join in and uh, and devote himself to in prayer and fasting on that first day, can, those first three days can. Tanya idach another b'raita. Lo kol shimon ben el azar. Another Braita says, um, not everyone who wants to make himself an individual should, can do so, or uh, make himself a student can do so. And this, in this Braita, this is the words of Rabbi Shimon ben al However, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, he similar to this first one, but just different names. And here it's Rashbak who says that if it's regarding honor, on something praiseworthy, then you say, okay, who are, who are you to make yourself so great? But if it's talking about fasting and have, uh, feeling pain, then it's even, a, it's a nice thing to join in the, the pain and uh, prayer for the community. Let's say someone took upon himself a fast. I'm gonna to fast tomorrow because of uh, some trouble. Uh, Or because someone is sick, I'm going to fast on behalf of the sick person. And then in the middle of the day, um, the person gets better. So now, do I still have to fast? The answer is yes, because you accept it upon yourself. It's like a vow. And so you have to continue, finish the fast, even though, you know, the surgery is done, it's successful, the person is all better, you still fast. (laughs) Now, fast. I'm someone, fra- someone who goes from a place where they are not fasting to a place where they are fasting. In other words, you have, might have a place where over there there's no rain and they're really in trouble, so they started fa- uh, fasting. And he's from another place where they, had, they got rain and so they weren't fasting. So once you come to the place where they are fasting, you join in together with the community. You shouldn't be uh, sitting and eating a nice meal when everyone else in that city is fasting. You should never stand out. That's really the, you know, uh, the most important principle. If you go from a place where they are fasting to a place where they're not fasting, then also you have to continue fasting because you took it upon yourself. So just like in the case where the person was healed, so too here, you continue fasting. Look, you're not sticking out. You're just, you know, you're just not fasting. So you can always be machmir. So the answer is be machmir either way when you're traveling. Someone who forgot, forgot it was a fast day, and he went and he ate something or, 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 or drank something. So even though he broke his fast, he should not do so publicly. Those don't go around, oh, I forgot already. So, okay, now we may as well. And, you know, you're eating your, your ice cream in, in public. That's not nice. And also, don't indulge in luxuries. This is a good says. Sometimes someone is not feeling well and they break their fast. Nevertheless, they should eat um, basic foods so they can feel good. But you don't have to go and um, eat, eat uh, luxurious foods. And we learn this from Yaakov, who tells his sons, why are titra'u? It's an interesting word. This is when the The famine was uh, was uh, getting harsh in the land in uh, land of Canaan, and they heard that there was food in Egypt. So Yaakov wants to tell them, go to Egypt. So he says, this is a, um, you know uh, this word is comes from the verb ra'u to look, but titz ra'u is uh, hit pa'el. It means, seems to mean, why are you looking at each other? Yaakov sees the the boy, the, the his sons, they're looking at you. What should we do? What should we do? He says, stop looking at each other. Go and get food. Okay, but the Midrash is going to take it in a different way uh, to learn this lesson. He says, means don't show yourselves when you uh, show off, when you have what to eat and you are satisfied. Don't let, let your enemies see it. Don't let Esav see it. Don't let Ishmael see it because then they'll be jealous of you. Um, good advice in general, right? Even if you, have, uh, if you have what to eat and others don't, others have less, you know, you don't show it off because you don't want to arouse um, bad, negative feelings. Okay, And since we're talking about <clears throat> uh, advice to the brothers, so now we turn to Yosef. Yosef, uh, when the brothers are there, Yosef says, you know, go back and, and get that and come back here. And he says, don't, uh, don't argue on the way. Right? Go go quickly and um, uh, you know make haste. What he meant is don't start um, talking about matters of halacha, because then you're gonna start arguing with each other. I'm like gonna say halakha like this, you're gonna say halakha like that, and they're gonna they're gonna walk slowly and stop and then uh, be upset at each other. So therefore, don't learn don't learn any halakha on the way. In hold on, we have an opposite tradition. Vamarabi el I. Bar Berechia, Shene, Tommy Dechamim, Shemahalechin Baderech. Ben Benahen, Debre, Torah, Re Uyin, Lisa Ref, Shene Mar, by he Hemaholechim, Halofa de Ber, Benerechem Esh, Besuse Esh, Yafri do Ben Shenehem. Um, Tamadika di Bor, Haleka di Bor, Uyin, Lisa OK, with opposite tradition is that the two sages are traveling and they're not speaking words of Torah, they deserve to be burnt. And we learn this from Eliyahu and Elisha. They were walking together. And while they were walking, the the chariot of fire uh, and and horses of fire came and parted between them. Um, And then, you know, uh, uh, Eliyahu goes up. So the reason that the chariots of fire, they did not harm Elisha because they were speaking matters of Torah, but otherwise they would have. Uh, so the point is that when you're traveling, you shouldn't be speaking about nonsense. You're traveling anyway, what else are you doing? Talk about matters of Torah. So how come over here, Yosef told the brothers, don't talk about halacha. And here it says, you should talk about matters of Torah. hal migras hal The answer is, one's talking about uh, girsah what you should do on the way is review the memorized traditions, right? While you're walking and you just, you, you, you repeat the mishnayot. But for examining halakha and deriving what the law should be, applying it to different cases, that requires uh, you, people to be sitting down and concentrating. And uh, that's not appropriate to do while one is traveling. Okay. <clears throat> I know uh, a, a, a teacher, a teacher's teacher of mine, who knew Mishnah by heart, even even Taharot. And he, while he was traveling, whenever he was traveling to the airport, ever he would uh, recite Mishnayot and Taharot. And he knew when he got there because he knew, you know, how many Mishnayot it takes to, to to make that trip. <laughs> <laughs> tana, <Braita> says, <speaking> uh, so more advice regarding traveling. Um, Yosef told his brothers, uh, don't take long strides, Um, you know, like uh, pace yourselves and you should always and um, and bring the sun into the city. Uh, In other words, you should enter the city and spend the night before a sun is set. Come in uh, or arrive while it's still daylight. Don't arrive at night. It's dangerous. Don't take long strides because it takes away five hundredths of a person's eyesight. Oh, why does it do that? I'm not sure, but maybe it has to do with uh, stress. If you're always rushing places and taking long strides, and you know that stress can be harmful. So just take uh, take uh, good paces. And I've said you should always leave uh, on a journey at the time of Kitov. Kitov is referring to the first day of creation. Hashem created the light and said, right, and said light is good. So always good to to, to tra- start traveling in the daytime and also um, come to a place in the daytime, also when it's Kitov. Um, as it says, uh, the sooner was morning light and the men were sent away. In other words, they start traveling in the morning And so that's good, good advice because at night it's dangerous to travel and then uh, you know you never when you, when, when you get there where's going to be your accommodation So if you get there at night, uh, if you get there at night it's dangerous if you get there during the day then you can make sure that everything is in order. And we'll see more advice about traveling tomorrow.